Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Good morning, friends, and happy Solemnity of the Epiphany. Uh, This is our daily scripture reflection, and today we sure have a lot to talk about with the richness of this feast. I'm glad that you're joining us on this Lord's Day morning. Let me know where you're from and who you are. I see your comments uh, right in front of me. If you see me look off that way, it's because I can see you, at least in the words that you're you're sending. And uh, we want to pray for each other, of course, during this time when we reflect on the Lord's words and let the Lord uh, speak to us in His Word. And I also want to uh, encourage you in our ongoing pro-life work. We're getting many things ready for the great events in Washington, D.C. just two weeks from now. Uh, really great thing. In fact, two weeks from today is the 50th anniversary of the now defunct decision Roe versus Wade. Two weeks from today, we're going to be standing in front of the Supreme Court for a memorial service and uh, Two days before that, of course, is the March for Life, the national prayer service that I'll be leading in Constitution Hall. And I hope you can come. Join me in prayer. It's an interdenominational service as we've been doing the last over 25 years. And uh, I want to I be able to celebrate with you the, uh, the reversal of Roe. We're going to honor the pregnancy centers. There's just a lot coming up, and, and we'll, we'll update you more about all that. But to get to the matter at hand, let's go to the Word of God. Let's look at the readings for today. And learn what this solemnity of the epiphany is all about. The manifestation of the glory of God showing us who this child born at Christmas really is and showing us who we are and how we can continue to manifest the glory of God in our own lives, in our choices, in our virtue, in our holiness, in our witness for life. The first reading today comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, and here's how it reads. Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem, your light has come. See, the glory of the Lord shines upon you. Darkness covers the earth and thick clouds cover the peoples. But upon you the Lord shines, and over you appears His glory. Nations shall walk by your light, and kings by your shining radiance. Raise your eyes and look about. They all gather and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters in the arms of their nurses. Then you shall be radiant at what you see. Your heart shall throb and overflow, for the riches of the sea shall be emptied out before you. The wealth of the nations shall be brought to you. Caravans of camels shall fill you. Dromedaries from Midian and Ephah, all from Sheba, shall come, bearing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of of the Lord. Let's say together this uh, responsorial psalm with the response, Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. O God, with your judgment endow the king, and with your justice the king's son. He shall govern your people with justice, and your afflicted ones with judgment. Lord, every nation on earth shall adore you. Justice shall flower in his days, and profound peace till the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Lord, every nation on earth shall adore you. The kings of Tarshish and the isles shall offer gifts. The kings of Arabia and Seba shall bring tribute. 
All kings shall pay him homage. All nations shall serve him. Lord, every nation on earth shall adore you. For he shall rescue the poor when he cries out, the afflicted when he has no one to help him. He shall have pity for the lowly and the poor. The lives of the poor he shall save. Lord, every nation on earth shall adore you. The second reading today comes from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we read in chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for your benefit, namely, that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. It was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and co-partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And what is the gospel reading of today? Well, it comes from Matthew chapter 2. And and this is, of course, the visit of the Magi, one of three events that the Epiphany points to. Let's read Matthew 2, 1 to 12. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance, he sent them to Bethlehem, And said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. And so that is the gospel of today being read throughout the world. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the key feasts of the Christmas season. Now you realize we are in the Christmas season. It concludes at the end of tomorrow. Tomorrow is the feast of the baptism of the Lord, Monday, January 9th. It doesn't always fall on that date. These dates vary from year to year, depending on when... when, um, uh, depending on how December 25th falls in the, in the month of January. And today is the, is the Solemnity of the Epiphany. 
So I mentioned there are three things that epiphany means manifestation, revelation. And what the, the event we just read about is one of those manifestations. What child is this? This is a king that is to be worshipped by all the nations. And this is what the visit of these magi signifies. By the way, traditionally we think of them as three because the gifts mentioned are three, but it might have been more. It might have been a dozen of them that came. Scripture doesn't tell us for sure. But what we do know is what is being revealed. And the other two events are his baptism, which we celebrate tomorrow as a separate feast day, because at his baptism it was revealed who Jesus was. Remember, the voice of the Father was heard, the Spirit came down on him like a dove. And also the wedding feast at Cana. It was revealed that he has power. His glory was revealed. His disciples began to believe in him because he did a mighty miracle changing the water into wine. In fact, the best wine that those people had ever tasted. But let's look at what this epiphany means. Of course, we have to have a feast of the epiphany because this is why God came, to reveal Himself. This is the first point to take away from today's feast. God is not silent. God is not unknown. John writes in the book of Revelation, I looked up and I saw an open door in the heavens. Friends, God has not hidden Himself behind a closed door. God has opened the door of revelation. We know what He thinks. Now, we can't know all of God because God is infinite. To know all of God, you'd have to be God. But we do know certain things, and that knowledge is sure. God Himself has spoken to us. Now, how does He reveal Himself? Obviously, first and foremost, in Christ. Look at the letter to the Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our fathers in fragmentary and varied ways through the prophets, that letter tells us. Now, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. In fact, this is one of the readings for Christmas Day. The Son is the complete and perfect reflection of the Father. So in other words, while God was giving us hints, indications, partial revelations for centuries, for millennia, now He throws the doors wide open and shows us who He is in as full a way as He can. And there will be no further public revelation until the second coming of Christ. That's a key teaching of the church. In other words, what Christ gave in His own teaching and preaching and actions, parables and Sermon on the Mount and what's in the Gospels and all the things He did, and what He gave to those apostles and trusted to them to hand on to us, that's the deposit of faith, as it's called, and it's not going to be added to until Christ comes back again in glory. He's given us, in other words, everything we need in order to get to heaven. He's given us everything we need to advance His kingdom on earth until He comes again. And He's going to ask an accounting for us. He gives us, talent, gives us five talents. He's going to want us to produce five or ten more. So we've got to be busy doing what? Reflecting the revelation. We've got to be busy sharing the epiphany. If God has spoken, He's spoken in Christ, He's spoken in His Word, in the Scriptures, and as Paul says in the second reading, He speaks to us through His Spirit, you have 
the same Holy Spirit that everyone else in the church has. You have the same Holy Spirit I have. We all have the same Holy Spirit that every, every Christian has. God speaks to us that way. He speaks to us in creation. Scripture says creation itself is an epiphany of the power and wisdom and majesty of God. He speaks to us through the events of our lives. We have to be echoing this epiphany. The Scriptures tell us that epiphany is connected with the theme of light. See what Isaiah says here. Your light has come. Reminds us, doesn't it, that Christ Jesus Himself said, I am the light of the world. The sacrament of baptism that incorporates into us into Christ and gives us the ability from God's perspective to understand the faith, it's called the sacrament of enlightenment. You have the light of Christ. In fact, Scripture tells us in Christ, you and I, are light. It's not just that we have the light. It's not just that we see the light. And this is a key lesson of the, of the Feast of the Epiphany. That we are light. We worship the light that has come into the world. We don't run away from it. We don't try to put it out like some people do. We worship. That's the first imperative of the Feast of the Epiphany. The first lesson is that God has revealed Himself, like I already said. The first imperative is we must worship Him and accept the light. The second imperative is we must be light and spread it. You are not darkness. Paul tells us you are light in the Lord. And Jesus says, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, where in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, He says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Not that they may praise you. They may, in fact, praise you. But that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for the praise to go to the one who made you light. This is an imperative of the Feast of the Epiphany. That we be light. That we not hide our faith. That we not hide our virtue. That we not be silent about the kingdom of God, but rather that we speak. We must be light, not just by example. You know, the Second Vatican Council had a lot to say about the mission that you and I have been given directly from the Lord to carry out His work in the world is that marvelous decree on the apostolate of the laity that says you have been assigned to the apostolate by the Lord Himself. You don't have to be ordained to the diaconate or the priesthood 
to be assigned by the Lord Himself to proclaim His gospel. You have been assigned by the Lord Himself to proclaim His gospel. You know, it's been said there's no such thing as secret discipleship. Either the discipleship will destroy the secrecy, or the secrecy will destroy the discipleship. Not only does Jesus say, you are the light of the world, it can't be hidden. He says, go and proclaim the gospel to every creature. You know, the Jerusalem cross, there's the cross, and then on the four corners of the cross, there's four other crosses. This gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem, Jesus said on the first Easter night. Go to the four corners of the earth. That's what that Jerusalem cross symbolizes. You're part of that. We are part of that. To whom are we to be light? Well, first of all, those within our closest circle. Parents, you are the primary light for your children to reflect the light of Christ and spouses to reflect it to one another and to your grandchildren and to your neighbors. But you're the first ones to reflect the light of Christ to those children that He has given you. Sure, you can use the help of others, teachers in school, maybe even Christian schools or Catholic schools, but they don't take the place of the responsibility that you have. You are the primary one to be light for them. Light to all our brothers and sisters in whatever circle of influence we have. We're to be light. We epiphany God. We manifest and reveal the God who reveals Himself. Not only when we speak about the faith, which we must do, as Peter says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Don't just be Christian. Be able to talk about it. But we also manifest it by our virtue. You are an epiphany of God when you forgive your enemy a wrong that he or she has done to you. You are the epiphany of God when you are joyful in the midst of adversity. You are an epiphany of God when you're generous, when you give above and beyond what somebody would even expect. You are an epiphany of God when you speak up against the evils in the world, especially when those around you are dead silent and dead in their silence. You're an epiphany of God when you speak up for life. When you speak for those that can't speak for themselves, as I know that so many of you do in conjunction with our Priests for Life ministry, you are an epiphany of the one who gave them their right to life and who vigorously defends it. You're an epiphany of God when you stand in front of those abortion facilities, as many of you do, and witness prayerfully and peacefully, even joyfully, while, while our heart breaks in sorrow over the killing of these babies, nevertheless we have joy that Christ has conquered death. You're being an epiphany when you're standing there. Not just you, you yourself, but together with all the body of Christ who come out in front of those places in the heat, and in the cold, in the snow, and the rain, in the wind, and among the curses and spitting. Have you ever been spat upon? Happened to me, and I was praying in front of an abortion facility. 
I was out in the state of Washington, and there we were peacefully praying, and I noticed this guy come walking from, everybody was standing still, so it was very noticeable that one guy was walking towards us very deliberately. I was leading the prayers. It was the rosary. He walks right up to me and spits in my face. I didn't stop leading the prayers. The priest who was standing next to me gave me a handkerchief, wiped off the spittle, and we continued undeterred. He just turned around and walked away. We are an epiphany of God when we're standing out there at these places of death. And that's why the enemies of the light want to try to intimidate us. It doesn't work. They want to try to put out the light. But what does Scripture say? The light shines on in the darkness, a darkness that cannot overcome it. Has not overcome it, will not overcome it, because the light is Christ. He is manifest today. Let me... uh, bring this to a conclusion by referring to a great document of the church, one of the greatest, St. John Paul II's document, The Gospel of Life. It was just two years after he issued this document, he issued it in 1995, that I worked under his pontificate there at the Vatican, at the Council for the Family, which oversees the pro-life work of the church. And this document was front and center in, in, uh, in, in everything that we, that we were doing. He begins the document by referring to Christmas. And then, a little bit later in the document, he makes a statement that reminds us of Epiphany. Let me read both of these passages to wrap up these thoughts. In the introduction to this document, section 1, he says... At the dawn of salvation, it is the birth of a child, which is proclaimed as joyful news. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The source of this great joy is the birth of the Savior. But Christmas also reveals the full meaning of every human birth. And the joy which accompanies the birth of the Messiah is thus seen to be the foundation and fulfillment of joy at every child born into the world. You know what another way of saying that is? That all the celebration that we have had in these last couple of weeks of the Christmas season, all the lights and decorations, all the sales, the presents, the gifts, the bows, the cards, the celebrations, the food, All of this, the parades and the jubilation, the gatherings and the festivities and the worship and the choirs and the lights and the bells should be how we react to every human birth, should be how we react to every pregnancy, should be how we respond to every unborn child. Why? Why? Why the joy? Well, he answers it in section 34. Let me read this. Because it brings us right to the heart of the epiphany. Section 34, life is always a good. This is an instinctive perception, John Paul writes, and a fact of experience. And man is called to grasp the profound reason why this is so. Why is life a good? This question is found everywhere in the Bible. And from the very first pages, it receives a powerful an amazing answer. The life 
which God gives man is quite different from the life of all other living creatures, inasmuch as man, although formed from the dust of the earth, is, and here's the answer, a manifestation, epiphany, of God in the world, a sign of His presence, a trace of His glory. Friends, the Scripture readings for Epiphany talk to us about manifestation. They talk to us about glory. And here the Pope is saying, this is why we rejoice at every child who is conceived, every unborn child who is growing, every birth of a child. Because there we see God. It's a manifestation of the glory of God. And one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, is quoted next by John Paul II. Listen to what he says. This is what St. Irenaeus of Lyon wanted to emphasize. In his celebrated definition, man, living man, is the glory of God. Man has been given a sublime dignity based on the intimate bond which unites him to his Creator. In man there shines forth a reflection of God Himself. And we wonder why the church is pro-life. And some wonder whether it's appropriate to preach about abortion. Could anything be more obvious than that we who are called to see the revelation of God Himself in human life, are called to teach and preach and talk about and debate and publish and broadcast and run into the world with the message that that life means something, that it's sacred, that it can't be thrown away, that it can't be destroyed, that it can't be manipulated, that it can't be owned, that it can't be enslaved, that it can't be declared to be a non-person like the now defunct court decision Roe versus Wade tried to say. Can it possibly be any more obvious That a follower of God is to be a defender of life. That a disciple of Christ is to be a friend of the unborn. Can it possibly be more obvious? The answer is no, it can't. There's nothing that can be said. There's nothing that can be done to make it more clear that being pro-life, friends, is so inherently, inextricably, integrally connected with the gospel, part of the gospel, it cannot possibly be more clear. So let's rejoice on this Feast of the Epiphany and let's let this celebration really raise us up to a more confident and constant proclamation that the glory of God has come into the world, that the light shines in the darkness, and that that light, that glory is Jesus Christ, and He is seen in every human life, no matter how burdened, how small, how dependent, how young, how frail. He's there. He shows up. So happy Epiphany, friends. And thanks for your support your ongoing support of our work. You know, ever since the strange events of the last couple of weeks, 
that have happened to me. I want to tell you something of, of what has happened. The support for our work has skyrocketed. You know, I've often said in these broadcasts, I think sometimes people don't know what I mean, that, you know, we all have enemies, right? You have enemies, I have enemies. And I'm not saying I have more enemies than anybody else does. I'm not saying I have worse enemies than anybody else does, but I am saying one thing. I've got the dumbest enemies around. What they've tried to do to me, limiting what I say, limiting what I do, it has only increased the support and the enthusiasm and the generosity with which people rally around this work. Because it's not about me. It's about what I was just talking about. That we have brothers and sisters who are being trampled down. This is a holocaust. We're living in the midst of a holocaust. And people are looking around and thirsting for light. For those that are going to stand up and say something when so many people are silent. I'm going to invite you to support this work, ProLifeGift.org. You know, people support the work that I and Priests for Life team are doing not because some bishop or priest tells them to, or pastor. That's not, that's not why they support us. They don't stop supporting us if they tell them not to. They support us precisely because we're saying and doing the things that they wish their pastors were saying or doing, but they're not. We're going to do them faithfully, clearly, more vigorously than ever. You can be sure. Take our hands, we'll take your hands. We're going to bring this task to completion, no matter what the obstacles are. And I thank you in advance for your faithfulness, for your generosity. ProLifeGift.org And brothers and sisters, yes, I will see you in Washington, D.C. We're going to have a great time, those of you that are coming. And uh, at PriestForLife.org slash MarchForLife, you'll be able to see the schedule of events where you'll be able to meet with me, and, and, and the primary event uh, is uh, the prayer service on the morning of Friday, the 20th of January. Join me in Constitution Hall there in Washington. You can find uh, the details at National Prayer Service, nationalprayerservice.com. It is an interdenominational service. Father David Begany, who's one of our Priests for Life priests, uh, will be saying a Mass at 7.30. And then at 8.30, the main uh, interdenominational service will begin, during which we will honor the, the, the pioneers of the Pregnancy Center movement and during which I will be delivering the message. Thank you, friends. Oh, I love what uh, one of you was saying. I take your hands. God is with us. Let's take one another's hands, brothers and sisters, right now as we pray. Lord, you have brought us together. You have made us the body of Christ manifesting in a great epiphany of life, the glory of the Father. And you manifest the dignity of every human life. Father, continue to draw us together. May we take each other's hands, embrace each other's hearts, and continue to expand your kingdom of light and life. We pray in the name of the only Lord, the only Savior, the only mediator between God and humanity, the one who was made manifest to us, and who manifests to us the Father, and who manifests to us ourselves, the one Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Friends, make sure you're connected with me on all the major social media platforms. Fr Frank Pavone is my uh, my social media address. Fr Frank Pavone, and we will talk to you now. During the week, I have a complicated week coming up. I will be obviously connecting with you on social media, including live. But the schedule may be a little off this coming week because I'm going to be mostly up in Washington D.C where the pro-life work in the House of Representatives has started and we'll be communicating with you uh, on some um, calls we need you to make to your uh, elected representatives in the House, uh, and I'll be meeting with a lot of them there in Washington. But uh, So my schedule will be a little erratic in the coming days with travel and whatnot, but I will, one way or the other, keep connecting with you here on these social media platforms. So make sure you've got all the things turned on, you know, in terms of notifications and alerts and, and keep up with us. We'll keep up with you and we'll get the job done together. Praise the Lord. God bless you from all of us at Priests for Life. Take care. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.